Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. It's Monday, all right? Maybe it feels like a Friday. I don't know about you. So much is going on in the news. I want to take today to talk about a topic that I think is so important, yet such a struggle today. And that's confidence. We're going to tie this topic of confidence into everything about how much should we use ChatGPT to some good news in terms of a court case win that happened for a 14-year-old recently uh, and so much more. So stay with me because I think confidence is at the heart of one of the greatest challenges that each and every single one of us can either really, really fail at, struggle with, or just not really quite get what confidence is. So we'll talk about that today on Trending. I want to start by talking a little bit about ChatGPT. So we have endured ChatGPT since the end of last year. Elon Musk's company, OpenAI, ended up launching it last year. I really do think, and my take on the whole Elon Musk uh, severing relationships with the head of Google, my take is that he's trying, and and even the fact that he released ChatGPT a little prematurely, he's trying to get ahead of the fact that he has warned, even on the Tucker Carlson interview, right before Tucker Carlson was actually fired, by the way, uh, that he said that normally regulations occur when something catastrophic has occurred. But Elon Musk's inter- interview, he warned that we can't wait to that point because once a catastrophic catastrophic event occurs, it might be too late. Well, in the meantime, I'm fascinated every single day by the conversations I'm having with people who are implementing chat GPT into their daily tasks from executives to writers to students. It's absolutely fascinating to see what this technology can do. But I'm also wondering how much should we let it do for us? We know it goes, and if you have a take on this, I'd love to hear from you. The number is 1-888-914-9149. How has GPT maybe been useful for you in your day-to-day to be more productive and efficient? How do you see it as perhaps impacting the way we think and interact with people and ideas? Well, so looking at the positives, I'm seeing how it can write articles. It can be a fake alias or whatever you want to call it. We'll talk about the Snapchat side of it in just a moment. It can even write books, create art, uh, however you want to say create, right? Because only human beings in collaboration with God can create. It can generate social media content for a business. It can write business plans. It can write syllabuses for school. It can do your homework. It's quite phenomenal what these very, very, very well-developed algorithms can do and how they can evolve in the world of artificial intelligence today. But I was fascinated a few weeks ago as I started having conversations 
with people even in the Catholic world, with Catholic nonprofits and how they're incorporating AI into writing articles for them about Catholic content. I was startled a few weeks ago when Father Tim Grumbach was here on Trending, and he said just for the fun of it, not that he used it, well, he talked about it but didn't use it, how he asked ChatGPT to write a homily for him for that Sunday. And it wrote a homily actually contextually with the mass readings for that day. And he said there were a lot of parts that were quite beautiful in his words. And this whole, I think, conversation of ChatGPT has me cringing a little bit. And it's from the perspective of two, two sides of it. One, will it damage our creativity and grit? That hard work and challenge of failing and trying to learn and figure things out. I, I remember in college, in extensive and challenging business classes and theology classes and philosophy classes, having to grapple with people's ideas, having to really figure out how the heck to use the latest formatting that's supposed to be used for papers and work on footnotes and citations. Grant, I would really appreciate if I were a college student today having ChatGPT to help me with footnotes and citations. Although now I think that I've accomplished that and know how to do it even to this day. However, I look back and say, wow, that would have been so easy and helpful. But on the flip side of it, look what I learned by the challenge of learning how to cite and use sources and how much I've grown to appreciate the citations and sources, for example, in books that I read. And I actually go, I'm that geek who's reading through the footnotes and the citations and all the endnotes and using them for sources and source material, double checking and cross checking their research. And so what if we live in a world where AI can just write our sources for us? There's something to be said of the challenge, even in doing your own research for a paper. And so, again, there's that concern of, well, the grit and the creativity and the challenge and even the failure at times. I remember, I think, getting lower grades and getting docked on grades for messy citations, and I learned. Or will we just have ChatGPT make things look perfect for us? Will we have ChatGPT help us find that perfect research rather than scouring the internet ourselves? It's a both and, right? There are a lot of sides to it that are so strong, I think, for increasing our productivity. But on the other side of it, I think there's a great challenge and fear with regard to grit and hard work, failure and struggle, even in preserving the Catholic intellectual mindset that Catholicism has preserved. Catholicism has preserved thought, ideas, combativeness and ideas and theology for centuries upon centuries, even to the point of maintaining written words, written documentations and books over the years. Just thinking about World War II and how so many books were destroyed at that time, yet Catholics, to the best of their ability, especially in some of our monasteries, were striving to preserve and save books. These things that we sometimes take for granted, yet again, the Catholic mindset of the fact that we are made as human beings with intellect and free will, and therefore we ought to pursue ideas, be combative with ideas, challenge ideas, and come to know God and freely choose and know him and his blueprint for the human person. What happens when we turn too much so to chat GPT? And even from this perspective, this is when I was really weirded out by chat GPT, learning that a lot of Catholic institutions are now letting go of their writers in order to use AI to write articles 
from a cost standpoint, it sounds brilliant. Even potentially from a theological standpoint, it may write very theologically sound content. But there's a human dimension of a human in the written words that we read being the idea and creator behind those words that are put together. Who the writer who herself or himself is working through this idea, trying to understand it, seeing the growth and development and progress and the way they in particular understand things. I even just think about the difference of some of our latest popes, such as reading the works of Pope St. John Paul II versus uh, Pope Benedict XVI, and how different they are in the way they think, the way they ponder different ideas. I want to get to know an idea, and I often want to get to know it through the lens of a particular person. Something I highly value in my husband is that he has very interesting ideas and conversations. And I'm always intrigued. I was actually just at a dinner party last week, and an old college friend of ours came up to me and said, has your husband always just love to talk about ideas because every time I see him, whenever we catch up over the years, he's always throwing this idea or this topic out to discuss. And even if he completely disagrees with the people in the room, he loves to throw those out there and converse about it. I love that. That's part of what I love about books and reading, even if it's literature that is not something that is highly intellectual, but a novel. I want to read a novel by written by a human being, not a novel written by ChatGPT. You see the difference there. And I think that this topic, even of how much should we, asking ourselves, how much should we use ChatGPT? Because I do believe it's a fantastic tool that can be used for productivity. But at the same time, I think that it can damage how we think and how we combat with ideas and even other people's ideas. I think overuse in ChatGPT could even further the crisis that we're experiencing of a lack of confidence in our culture. I think in today I want to talk a lot about confidence. We'll be talking about it the whole hour from different perspectives. But I think it can impact our confidence in even impacting our competence and effort, experiencing failure and challenge. We want to feel competent as human beings. And often when we don't feel competent, it really damages our confidence in ourselves, in our work. But how can we feel competent if we don't have grit, if we haven't experienced failure? Because then when failure comes, we implode. We also need to be able to be creative, as I mentioned. Again, that takes effort and failure as well. That takes criticism. Not perfection, but criticism. Even the communication. I think that if we overuse ChatGPT, it can impact the way that we communicate with other human beings. Or even considering another's ideas. Grappling with ideas. Grappling, again, with another person's ideas. If you think about it, a fundamental element of prayer is we have meditation where we meditate upon a particular written word. And then we contemplate the great mysteries of God and just sit there in this great contemplation of God and his mystery, who he is. But what if all of the meditations and topics of contemplation that we read were just written by an algorithm that's evolved? It's the point of being called ChatGPT. 
highly incredible that it's so, but I think when we can't spend time considering another person's ideas, another person's writing, and we're, let's say, only reading articles generated by artificial intelligence, are we really pondering another person's ideas or are we pondering a idea compiled by a computer tool, highly evolved computer tool, but that is writing things in a particularly influential way based on the times, based on the creator of the tool. I'd rather read things written by human beings who are created in God's image and likeness, who are called to perfection through God's grace, but who are also struggling in their failure. And God willing out of their failure, they will, in the midst of that, find God. That's what's so wonderful about writing, even the writings of sinners. You think about the great works of St. Augustine and the, how he grappled with truth, reality, and God himself. So here's an interesting perspective on ChatGPT. So back in April, Snapchat, which is a horrible app I don't recommend, <laughs> uh, you shouldn't have it, I, but Snapchat launched an AI friend that every single person has, unless they pay for the upgraded version, called My AI. Now, they've put some lockdowns over the last month or so since there's been a lot of complaints, especially with concern with regard to minors, but it's called My AI. It was in one of the updates later in the spring, and you basically have this friend on Snapchat. Now, normally, the only friends you have would be people you actually add, accept, and choose to be in your friend group or that you choose to follow. Well, this is a forced feature of Snapchat. Now, what's interesting is you can customize it, you can name it, you can create an alias. It can be considered your friend. In fact, it was really interesting because one of the introductory messages that my AI sent, this avatar account that is powered by ChatGPT, one of the introductory messages it would send to everyone on Snapchat was, Hi, Samantha, I'm your new AI chatbot. You can ask me just about anything and I'll do my best to help. And even talks about how it can laugh with you or you guys will enjoy a laugh together. And I thought this was extremely creepy. Not just considering the fact that we have a very high number of minors on social media. In fact, 60% of American teens, that's 6 out of 10 teens today in America, use Snapchat. So that means we're giving them a robot to talk to that they can name and call their pet, basically. It's like, instead of having a dog, I'm not even a big fan of pets, but I do understand and respect the fact that for many people, it, dogs, animals, pets can be therapeutic. They can be a companion. They can be healing. They can be good for a person's mental health. I think they could also be bad for people's mental health. That's another conversation for another day. Here come the emails of complaints from people about loving animals. Anyway, uh, but I do think that an animal is far better than having a robot that is your customizable robot that you can do anything and everything with. It, here are some interesting things that are happening with my AI. Again, you can name it yourself. You can turn it into the avatar you want. I think that it's difficult as human beings, not just for minors, but even just younger people in general, all of us, who maybe someone's struggling just with depression, anxiety, just want someone to talk to. And maybe they know that my AI on Snapchat isn't really a person, but you start talking to it so much. I mean, we've already become familiar to using, and I hope we use it and don't talk to it, of using Surrey. 
I, I remember when Story first came out and there was kind of this discomfort. I remember my siblings and I were laughing. We'd be kind of mean to the Surrey app. You'd call it names or say different things. So I was like, don't be mean to it. Like there was this weird response of, you know, how do you treat artificial intelligence? You wouldn't, you shouldn't talk like that to anyone yet. We're talking to our phones in these really cool, cruel ways. Well, human nature is so similar. Even now with my AI being launched, uh, it, there's this distinction of having a difficult time separating humans from machines. There's bullying occurring, especially by teenagers toward chat GPT. There's confusion with regard to authority figures in terms of youth with regard to with regard to my AI, because my AI on Snapchat, you can ask it to do your homework. You can ask it to answer all the questions. And guess what? It'll answer them imperfectly. So when your parent gives you the wrong answer to a question you're asking to you, my AI is more intelligent, more relevant, more authoritative than your parent, than your teacher. This is a challenge. We also don't know how to separate emotional bonds from artificial intelligence. On an intellectual level, as well as on an emotional level, how do we separate humans from machines? The bullying side of it's been really interesting. So on one side, uh, some people are teaching the My AI account that they have that's personalized for them on Snapchat to respond in a romantic way, like a romantic partner. Uh, some are saying, hey, insult my mom. Others are trying to teach it to lie or to do different things. And so it bullies or gaslights uh, ChatGPT into saying, no, the moon is a triangle. The moon isn't circular. One person was even blaming my AI for their harmful behavior at a McDonald's after they got one fewer chicken nuggets than they should have had. It, this is all fascinating to me. Interesting how our fallen nature chooses to abuse even a thing, right? It's not a human being, a thing. But at the same time, how we are developing these emotional bonds with how we interact with my, my AI, which is also significant in kind of a culture that struggles with some depression. So all of this kind of brings me back to this topic of confidence because we've already been living in a culture, and I've seen this, where we have so many of our correspondents on email, social media, email, text message, all of these different applications, and we're losing our ability to confidently have a conversation, feel comfortable with the way something might land and see the facial expressions and the body language from someone. Or some people don't even have confidence in reading it. You know, we know that communication is what 80 to 90 percent, not even verbal, 10 percent of communication is verbal. The rest is visual, right? Seeing how it lands, how people move. Even just seeing how I interact with my two-year-old and I point, I can give her the thumbs up. You know, I, I have different bodily reactions and she can tell. It's interesting even seeing how she's starting to read emotion. I think that I had my head down on the side of my other daughter's car seat and I sighed. She goes, what's wrong? Right? I didn't say a word. Yet that communication from body language, she knew something was going on. I was just tired of taking a deep breath. But right, like we have, we should have this ability to be empathetic and relate, but that confidence is waning. So what I want to do is come back talking about confidence in general, uh, how it's a skill. It's something we learn through love. It's also a fundamental dimension of our faith. We'll even tie it into topics such as examination of conscience and how important that is to do every day and confession. We're also going to talk about Ryan Gosling and awesome news with regard to a lawsuit in Vermont. I'll be right back here on Trending.
You're listening to Trending with Timry, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. If there was one thing I would say that vast majority of young people really do lack and struggle with and so deeply desire, it's confidence. It's fascinating to me to see what a struggle this is, because I think that confidence is at the core in many ways of who we are, how we view ourselves, and it really is, it can be a skill. We'll talk about that. It can be a skill. I think it's also confidence is, self-confidence is gained and kind of Uh, earned we come into it through the loving relationships with our family but it's also fundamentally rooted in our faith so fundamentally rooted in our faith you know i was reading the book the ways of mental prayer by father dom vitalis lihoti and he wrote without confidence the heart contracts the will is paralyzed and has no longer any energy we dread god and avoid him That is such a powerful line. This is at the core of where so many of us are at, whether we're avoiding going to confession, whether we're struggling in our faith, struggling in a relationship, struggling in career, dating, marriage, relationships with children, whatever it might be, or even in having any hobbies. Without confidence, Father said, The heart contracts. It shuts down in on itself. He says the will is paralyzed and no longer has any energy. So what happens? Therefore, we dread God and avoid him. I'll take that a step further. We don't only avoid God and dread God. We don't seek out what God has in store for us in our bodies. We don't care about what God has in store for our bodies. We can be anything. Not because we want to be anything and everything, but because there's no foundation. There's no inherent confidence and belief in who we are as individuals. And who we are as individuals in a family. Who we are as individuals in a relationship. Who we are as individuals in the world. We become nothing. We become malleable to whatever the culture says, wants, thinks, believes. Whatever the loudest voices are, some of those loudest voices right now are you can be purple. You can be anything. You can be a unicorn. You be you. Which in a certain respect, that message of be unique and be you, that's what we need to hear because we need confidence. But you can only be uniquely yourself because you have an identity that is grounded and written in God himself. And so what we need, I think, to do is kind of walk all of us, all of us, myself included, through what does confidence look like? How do I build it up in a culture that says you are nothing? To the point that it literally shuts down the will, contracts the heart, and turns us away from God. That's the goal of modern day culture is to turn us away from God. And so, again, I mentioned earlier that in a certain respect, confidence is a skill. It's something that we come into out of love that others give to us. And it's fundamentally rooted in our faith. I think it's a skill because I think confidence can be learned. 
or we can grow in confidence through discipline and hard work. Discipline and hard work instill confidence because discipline and hard work tell us that sometimes we fail, sometimes we succeed, sometimes we can work really hard and other people do things far better than us. Discipline and hard work also show that we can do something and still be critiqued. Right? So humility is a part of this, and we'll talk about that. Love is fundamentally an element of this as well, because as although we can grow in confidence through discipline and hard work, love is fundamentally at the heart of confidence. And it goes back to our relationships, our paternal and maternal relationships. Proper attachments, as psychology points to, that through childhood, these relationships unfold with mother and father, and they're supposed to build us up and being affirmed so that we are confident in who we are. I am my mother's daughter. I am my father's daughter. I am beloved by my father. Right? Having that confidence, that knowledge in a culture that erases marriage, says that you don't have to have children, even when children already, already exist. You see, love fundamentally from mother and father and stealing us confidence that is just a glimpse of what is meant to be the confidence that we gain from God. God is that true and perfect father. And so I think that there's a healing element. So if you are someone who's saying, yeah, I do struggle with confidence. I never really felt affirmed. Maybe even now as an adult or growing up. God is that perfect father, and he gave us the perfect mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary. But also, there's a reason why we refer to the church as mother. And when I say the church is mother, I'm not talking about sometimes and often the imperfect human beings who speak as voices for the church. But I'm talking about the church in her perfect teaching passed on century after century that is the blueprint for the human person, grounded in scripture and tradition. That, and I say this because it's important to recognize there can be healing when there are wounds from a lack of affirmation and confidence that was built into what is fundamentally a psychological relationship that is meant to foster confidence as an adult, that we can heal from that. Yes, absolutely, through psychology, therapy, all of those things, but in the confidence in God is the perfect father. Our lady is that perfect mother. The church as those relationships building in us who and what we are. And that ultimately brings us to, I said, confidence is a skill that we can learn through skill, discipline, and hard work, through love of the relationships we experience. But it's in, in its perfection, we gain confidence through our faith that God created you, God created me with purpose that we are eternally loved. God, even if we, through our own merit, our own behavior, destine ourselves to hell, God still loves us. As hard as that is for the 21st century mind, even for the 21st century Catholic mind to accept that yes, there is a hell, there is such a thing as a devil who is prowling about the world, as St. Peter says, seeking the ruin of souls. We should be solidified in our faith that God created us with a purpose to be with him, and he eternally loves us even in our imperfection. And that he eternally loves us and that it is because we have chosen to reject him that we go to hell. And that's fundamental that we understand that. 
So what are some of those killers of confidence? Well, as you can tell from those three, I think, main areas of building up confidence through skill, which is discipline and hard work, uh, through those relationships that we experience as very young children and with our mothers and fathers, but also through faith, there are things that we can do. And I think understand in a culture where we maybe we're lacking or struggling confidence, which we are universally. What are some of the killers of confidence? Well, pride, being prideful. It's one thing to be proud of yourself. It's another to be prideful. Also, a misplaced sense of humility where you're not just saying I'm nothing, but you just tear yourself apart. It's called a pusillanimity, right? Just lowering yourself so far that it almost becomes prideful in a certain respect. So what gets in the way of, com- of confidence? This comparison culture we live in? But comparison goes in both ways. How I compare myself to another person measuring up and how they compare themselves to me. I distinctly remember, you know, and I think this also means that if we have proper confidence, we're willing to shut down relationships when someone has such low self-confidence that even when we love them and we respect them, they still have to insult us. Those are relationships we don't need. And it takes being confident, I think, to shut down unhealthy dynamics and relationships. I think I see often people aren't willing to shut down a dating relationship or uh, stand up for themselves in in a work environment because confidence is something that they're struggling with. We've all been there. I actually have a story that I often think of. I remember there was this woman in college and who we were, there are a lot of similarities in terms of like kind of same height. I'm all of like barely five foot two. Okay. I remember we were same height, same shoe size, a lot of different things. And every time I saw this person, she always had to say something to insult or belittle me that had to do with something that was like very similar in terms of height and shoe size or whatever it might be. I always thought it was so odd. And after years of friendship with this person, what I thought was friendship, as I kept trying to befriend this individual, I finally realized at one point I met up with her at a restaurant and we're standing looking at the menu side by side and she crosses her arms. She just gives me that up and down look that, you know, this culture of comparison, we do it on social media. We may not do it in person, give the up and down look. Actually, my two-year-old does. I'm really trying to work with her on that. She literally looks people up and down. Like even if I walk into the room in a new piece of clothing, my daughter's like ripping me up and down my clothes. Like, where did you learn this? Uh, But I remember this friend, she looked at me up and down and she goes, have you shrunk? What? <laughs> like, if it's a person like five foot two, you know, it's like, do you, <laughs> you're the same height as me. What? She said, have you shrunk? You just look shorter. And she just has this look on his face like, oh, what happened to you? And I'm thinking, I am like a 20 something year old woman. Like, who is insulting me like this? And I think that was one of the last times I spent, t- spent time with her because I realized to have a, such a low a level of self-esteem and confidence that you have to insult another human being, I don't have to be in that type of friendship or that relationship. And so there are two sides of it. On one side, I saw, man, she's really struggling with confidence that she feels like she has to hurt someone to make herself feel good. That's not confidence. So pride or insult gets in the way of, of confidence. Resentment gets in the way of confidence. But on the other side, we also have to have enough confidence to shut down relationships that are harmful 
to us. And so I think that, again, like there's that lesson with regard to confidence that we need to be able to build ourselves up, even in the midst of our brokenness, to have healthy relationships, to shut down those relationships that we can't. How many dating relationships have you seen gone awry because someone wasn't willing to say, you know what? I deserve better. I'm out. And I think that's important. You know, I don't like this whole idea where people talk about, oh, that's an ultimatum. In a lot of dating relationships today, there need to be ultimatums. People who don't believe in marriage, don't believe in children, yet one person wants to get married, wants to have children, has expectations for what that will look like. Either you meet these expectations or I'm out. Being willing to say, I am actually leaving this relationship. And so when we talk about confidence. I think that also uh, confidence, we struggle with it because of reactions from others, negative feedback, insecurities, feeling incapable. That's why, again, true confidence, we have a skill of a hard work and discipline, that grit that is so necessary, a word that we rarely use. There's a reason why you still hear the expression, put a little bit of elbow grease into it. You know, there's something about doing something with your hands and manual labor of completing a task, I do think this is one of the reasons why many people of my generation, the millennials on down, struggle with confidence as they also don't have the skill of physically completing something. Again, technology is fantastic. The speed with which it allows us to accomplish some things is wonderful, but there's this lack of feeling accomplished. The feeling of having washed your own car, of vacuuming your own house, this feeling of accomplishment of washing and hand washing your own dishes. Not saying these are all things we have to do, but we need to find turnkey things that we can get that good dopamine hit, not just from playing a game, but that we've actually accomplished it. We built something small. I think for a while, this is why the Pinterest uh, culture was so great because it was encouraging people to do things with their hands. Now, if inspiration doesn't lead to action, there's something wrong. But what's interesting is that prayer ties into this whole conversation about confidence. Prayer is the tool that transforms our lives. It helps keep us, up, keep us grounded, humble, and living in a state of providence and God's providence. And I think confession plays a key role in that as well, which is why we're going to talk about examination of conscience, going to confession, making a spiritual confession. We'll talk about that in just a minute here. But pride comes before the fall. That's why humble confidence is so important because we're not called to be prideful. We're called to be humbly confident. Finding that balance between pride and just calling yourself scum and thinking nothing of yourself. And we do need to kind of be a little, a lot more grounded and humble. So a humble confidence, I think, cuts to the root of, in many ways, all that is evil in this world. When we see ourselves as creatures before God, when we prayerfully seek out what we are to do in our lives, that we prayerfully move through our lives, that we're living a sacramental life in a state of grace. That means going to confession regularly and receiving our Lord Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the most holy sacrament of the altar, his body and blood. That also means recognizing that God has a couple of vocations for our lives. Religious life, holy orders for priests, and marriage. They're, they're these two vocations, right? That we are consecrating ourselves to something. And it might also be to someone, to God, right? Through marriage or through particular charisms, through service and holy orders. So how do you grow in confidence? Well, it requires 
a lot of acts of humility. And for the saints who have gone before us, there are many saints who, if you read some of their writings, they have a lot of worminess where they say, I'm a worm, I'm nothing. And I think it's important that we're humble. God made Adam from the earth. We come from the ground. Often we aren't even willing <laughs> to, you know, we, we think that I, I love walking around barefoot. I'm a Southern California girl, but even the idea of our feet touching the bare ground is gross to people. Well, we came from the dirt. Be a little humble. I think that's a good thing. To be humble, the word humility means of the earth, from the ground. I think of, you know, one way that I think is very helpful for me to remain humble is part of the, part of the reason why I love going to daily Mass is we have the confidio, right? That, that time of confession at the beginning of Mass that we're making our confession at Mass. Our venial sins are forgiven when we go to Mass, when we receive our Lord Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. But there's that time just before communion where we say, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter into my dwelling because I turned so far from you and I fail to follow the mission and the guidance you have for me. So how do we make those acts of humility? Going to Mass, for one, is a great place to go. And we're going to talk about uh, making those daily examinations of conscience and spiritual confessions, but actually going to confession as well. Other acts of humility, because we need a lot of acts of humility in order to have humble confidence taking the lesser, even if we think, or maybe even you know, maybe you think you know you deserve something better, taking the lesser part, not taking the place of honor, being humble, you know, remembering, I remind myself, I need to remind myself all the time, the words of Jesus Christ, the son of man has not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If God who created me came to serve and not be served, oh boy, what do I have a responsibility to do? That's why fasting is so important. I actually struggle a little bit when I've been uh, nursing and pregnant to not be able to fast as much because fasting is so good for humbling us, our dependence on food, our dependence on God to get through that fast. But there are plenty of other things when you're in that season of life that are very humbling. We just have to pay attention to the state in life we are in that God has provided many opportunities for us to be humbled. Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the most words she says in all of sacred scripture are in her Magnificat. In Luke chapter 2, where we read Our Lady's response to Elizabeth, her cousin, when Elizabeth says, Who am I that, that the mother of my Lord should come and visit me? And Our Lady humbles herself here. Or even St. John. St. John, right? The, the John the Baptist. He, his response before he's to baptize Jesus Christ, even the act of kneeling, how humbling kneeling is at church. Oh, I feel uncomfortable. I want to sit down on my feet or I want to lean back on the pew or I just want to sit down. It's humbling when you force yourself to stay in that uncomfortable position out of reverence for Christ. Not, so not just multiple acts of humility are important, but also acts of confidence in God's grace, submission to his will, to his commandments, even Sunday rest, right? Celebrating Sunday as that day of the Lord and trusting that he will help us to meet every other thing we need to do. Even sleeping, prayerfully sleeping. Hey, I have so much to do. I am overwhelmed. I can't do it all. You can't without him. We need humble confidence. 
Father Dom Vitalis Lahodi said, confidence prevents humility from degenerating into discouragement and pusillanimity. That is so confidence is necessary to help humility from us just being discouraged or saying, I am nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, to the point that we are just shutting down on ourselves. Humility also hinders confidence from falling into presumption is what he says. Humility hinders confidence from falling into presumption, where we become so confident, we become prideful and we presume things. And so let's work on practicing humility, humble confidence, and taking back our place in a culture that God ordained us to be here, to live in this time as challenging as it is, to stand for truth and order in a culture that says, you don't know what you're talking about, but we do in Christ. And we need to have the confidence to believe that. So we'll talk, come right back, talking about an examination of conscience, a little bit of what's happening in the culture right now, where I think we need a little more confidence to trust God has a plan, even when it's challenging. If we have confidence in Him, we confidence in ourselves through Him, We can endure whatever he has in mind because he chose us for this moment. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back to Trending. We've been talking about confidence today. Fascinating topic to me, especially we tied it into how much should we use ChatGPT, an incredible tool, uh, but also, you know, where's the grit as well and what we're doing, finding that balance. Uh, confidence, I think, is at the core of what I see so many of my generation, the millennials on down, struggling with. We talked about how confidence is earned through skill. We learn it through loving relationships of our parents, what to do when those relationships were lacking and instilling confidence and affirmation in us, but ultimately how confidence is rooted in God, that we receive this sense of confidence through our relationship, our faith with God. And I was reading a book by Father Don Vitalis Lihodi, The Ways of Mental Prayer. And he talks a lot about an examination of conscience to do make a spiritual confession, which I had not heard that particular phrase, spiritual confession before. You know, I've always known, if you don't know, you know, if you're in a state of mortal sin, you have to go to confession. You're responsible to go to confession. If you are in a state of mortal sin now, go running to confession. Schedule it. I don't care if you have to go face-to-face. Trust me, I get it. It's scary when you go face-to-face for confession. Uh, but you have to go to confession. We have to We have to confess our sins in person, our mortal sins. However, if you cannot yet, you're on your way there. Uh, In the meantime, if you're in a state of venial sin, a spiritual confession is something very wonderful that you should do. And what I do every day is an examination of conscience, and I make a spiritual confession. And we all should in that respect. I just didn't know that was a name for it. And as I've been reading this book, it's a routine that we should really get into if you haven't already. The saints who have gone before us have said always, do that daily examination of conscience where we're walking through how we struggle today, how we sinned, those bad habits we have, those particular people that when we interact with them, we really, really tend to uh, fall in our interactions. Uh, But in his book, he talks about five things to do and making that spiritual confession and doing it daily. He says, first, beg for a contrite and humble heart. So, Lord, help make me sorry 
Help make me sorry for the things I'm doing and help me be humble enough to acknowledge the things I do wrong. Number two, he says, humbly confess your sins to our Lord. And I love that phrase. If you haven't adopted it in your daily speech, in your prayer, use that phrase, our Lord. My Lord and my God. This is something we pray at right after the host is elevated in the mass and the bread is transformed into the body of Christ. We say, my Lord and my God, in awe and in submission to him, humbly confess your sins to our Lord. Number three, make a serious act of contrition. Actually be sorry and make a resolution. I love to do an examination of conscience at night, but also in the morning when I start my day, acknowledging, hey, what's going to happen today? Where might I really kind of struggle? <laughs> Am I really tired? Am I going to see someone who I'm maybe I'm impatient with? Or maybe I gossip with and I need to work on that. Having those resolutions and being prepared to grow throughout your day, which is why an examination of conscience at night is so important. But in the morning, a preparation for those foibles that you have or outright terrible sins. Number four, he says, offer to God in atonement a voluntary sacrifice. So make atonement for the sins that you do. Yes, we have confession. We go to confession. We are given our penances. But also, if you've done something, maybe in your family, that has been scandalous, as a sacrifice for your family, maybe there's something you can do in humility as a gift to your family or to someone, a co-worker, you know, in an engagement that you've had. Number five, he says, implore the grace of pardon and amendment. Beg God's grace tell him you are sorry. This needs to be our routine, and this is how we make progress. Prayer is a means to progress in our life. That's why when we were talking about confidence, confidence is gained. It's garnered through prayer. Confidence is gained through an examination of conscience, because when we are humble before God, we have humble confidence in his will for us, in our actions, in our movements, in our relationships. We have humility to know right from wrong. I'll give you an example. Right now, we are in a culture war, a culture that says that, and I talked about this at the beginning of the hour. I really hope you'll go back and listen as we were talking about some of the theology and psychology of confidence. We live in a culture where we lack so little confidence. We lack God. We've rejected God. That line I mentioned earlier, Father Don Vitalis Lodi said, without confidence, the heart contracts. That is, it shuts down in on itself. Without confidence, he says, the will is paralyzed and has no longer any energy. We're sapped of energy, you guys. And without confidence, we dread God and avoid him. That's what's ha happening with this whole gender ideology craze. And I was reading a story earlier today. Some good news, but also some sad news that a 14-year-old girl would ever have to do this. A father and daughter were just awarded $125,000 125, in a lawsuit, and the father was reinstated to his job. What happened? A 14-year-old girl, Blake Allen in Vermont, had been really uncomfortable when a biological male, a boy, was entering into the boy's locker, into the girl's locker room. This boy was in a 14-year-old girl's locker room. She was uncomfortable. She's a volleyball player. Well, she expressed her discomfort to a friend. She ends up getting in trouble and accused of harassment. And her father defends his 14-year-old daughter. And by the way, the father's a middle school soccer coach. He ends up being fired for one defending his daughter's discomfort 
where she strips down her clothes and is now expected to do that in front of a boy. The father gets fired from his job for defending the daughter, but also for misgendering the young man who wanted to go into his daughter's locker room. Well, lo and behold, praise the Lord, in the end, justice played its course. The father and daughter were awarded $125,000, and the father's job was reinstated. I feel bad for this girl and this dad. They're just trying to live their lives. Thank God they stood up and they worked, I think, with Alliance Defending Freedom uh, was who they worked with to see justice done. This was a matter of speech, freedom of speech, freedom to defend what you say, also freedom to protect your child as well and to tell the truth. Here's the reality. When we have confidence in being made in God's image and likeness, when we have confidence in what is black and white, right and wrong, you can endure the insanity that is occurring in the culture today with the many and varying ideologies that reject God and there says there's no such thing as a blueprint for your life. There is. Even secular psychology proves it and points to it over and over again. So have confidence in that. I keep thinking of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ when he talks about what are the greatest commandments? And we hear the Shema repeated from the Old Testament where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But he said the set, that's the first commandment. But the second commandment, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That requires confidence. Confidence in yourself and confidence in the fact that God created me and he, God created that other person there. And that's why we're called to honor and love people and tell the truth when it comes to this craziness. Thank God this 14-year-old girl felt confident enough to say, I'm uncomfortable in a boy being in my locker room for volleyball and that the dad was willing to defend her and even still use the proper pronouns and be willing to get some mud on his face and even fight a legal battle over it. We need to have that confidence that the Lord our God, that we love him with our total heart, soul, and mind, our total being, knowing that he created our total being for him and with a purpose. And he also created our neighbor. And that's why we're called to love them as ourselves. And so that should be, I think, when we're kind of ending this conversation about confidence. Confidence at the end of the day is rooted in God. And no matter what we've maybe failed in terms of skill set or hard work and grit to build up some confidence in ourselves, that's okay. Because behavior can be modified. Progress can be made. It can be made in our Lord Jesus Christ through prayer, in humble confidence, through confession. Go running to confession if you need to by making that daily examination of conscience to realign ourselves with God. To sin is to miss the mark. Let's not miss the mark anymore. Let's unite ourselves with the will of God and walk confidently in his grace. Coming up next is the Family Rosary Across America. I'll be back tomorrow with Erica Komasar. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Tuesday, we'll talk about whether or not you should wait till you're 30 to fall in love and have kids. Also, unpack your brain on birth control. What does that look like? Does birth control impact the way you think and interact? We'll talk about that and much more on Tuesday on Trending, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.